0: Imagine speaking the dialect of the ancient Athenians. Imagine speaking Attic or classical Greek, the language spoken in the 6th to 4th centuries BC. This is the language of Aeschylus, Thucydides, Sophocles, Plato, and Aristotle. The Circe Institute Greek Apprenticeship, called Attikizo, is a three-year program that teaches spoken Attic Greek with mentor Monique Neal and a small cohort of fellow journeymen. Enter the porticoes of ancient Greece and encounter directly her poets and teachers delight yourself in this least intimidating path of beginning studies in ancient greek seats are limited in this unique program register now at searcyinstitute.org backslash greek dash apprenticeship or contact andrea lipinski at andrea at and now on with this week's episode Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Cersei Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. I'm joined again today by Christine Parent for our Poetry Corner. We're so glad to have her back. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more Hopkins, but Christine, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. It's a beautiful spring day in central Pennsylvania, and um, I'm feeling good and doing one of my favorite things, talking to you about poetry so what could be wrong
0: yes yeah this is wonderful i've been looking i look forward to it every month now so it's nice nice time together well we have spent the last two uh, episodes talking about different hopkins poems and we're we're kind of going to do that again today maybe wrap up a little mini cycle here on on hopkins um uh with patience um so christine uh i'll let you kind of take us through our exercises and
1: okay
2: we'll go from there.
1: We um are working for those who just need a reminder we're working on um something that I came up with over the last um 5 years or so, I don't know, maybe 7 years of my teaching um called participatory reading where um it's a very small response that um kind of precludes analysis where you just lift lines and phrases and images out of the poem that you've just read and you echo back to the poem and it gives you time to bask and steep in the language um the images uh you know poetry is so much about being uh with the poet being in a moment being in an experience having the experience in the po- through the poem um, not just a reference to experience, you know? And so therefore, and the master is the one who came up with all these words and 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 precise sounds. And so the longer we can forestall um, our analysis and just be in the poem, the better we understand it. And the more we can fellowship with the poet and then we can move on and begin kind of construing what the poet was bringing us into. So we're going to do that together. We forgot to last time, but so um, do you want to read first today? Or do you want me to read first?
0: Um, you go ahead.
1: Okay. Patience by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Patience, hard thing, the hard thing, but to pray, but bid for patience is. Patience who asks wants war, wants wounds, Weary his times, his tasks to do without, take tosses and obey. Rare patience roots in these and these away nowhere. Natural hearts, ivy patience masks are ruins of wrecked past purpose. There she basks purple eyes and seas of liquid leaves all day. We hear our hearts grate on themselves. It kills to bruise them dearer. Yet the rebellious wills of us, we do bid God bend to him even so. And where is he who more and more distills delicious kindness? He is patient. Patience fills his crisp combs, and that comes those ways we know.
0: Patience, by Gerard Marley Hopkins. Patience, hard thing, the hard thing but to pray, but bid for patience is. Patience who asks, wants war, wants wounds, Weary his times, his tasks, to do without, take tosses, and obey. Rare patience roots in these and these away, nowhere. Natural heart's ivy, patience masks our ruins of wrecked past purpose. There she basks purple eyes and seas of liquid leaves all day. We hear our hearts grate on themselves it kills to bruise them dearer. Yet rebellious wills, yet the rebellious wills, of us we do bid God bend to him even so. And where is he who more and more distills delicious kindness? He is patient. Patience fills his crisp combs, and that comes those ways we know.
2: Crisp combs. Hearts great.
1: Delicious kindness.
0: Our ruins of wrecked past purpose.
1: Hmm. Combs those ways we know.
2: But bid for. Patience is.
1: It kills to bruise them dearer.
0: Wants war. Wants wounds.
1: Hard thing. Hard thing.
2: Take, tosses, and obey. Masks, basks. Seas of liquid leaves. Asks. Tasks. Distills. Fills.
1: Bend to him, even so.
2: Hmm. Natural heart's
1: ivy. Roots in these. And these away. Nowhere. Ready to talk? Yes. Okay.
2: This um, the piece
0: on the page next to it, the one we did last time, and it both looks and feels denser. I mean, it's... it's...
1: Oh, that's a good point. Well, it is. Um, I mean, peace is... 11 lines and the last one is a half line Mm -hmm. remember we we said it was a like a short sonnet a Mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. truncated sonnet um and this is a full sonnet and it doesn't yeah so it's interesting it's got four a stanza with four stanza with four stanza with three a stanza with three but it, it has some kind of qualities that peace has, don't you think? I mean, I was just thinking, I know why these poems are on opposite pages (laughs) of each other. I mean, for one thing, it repeats the word a lot, the same that peace did.
2: Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) We observed that. For another thing, we observed the kind of capitalizing and lowercase of the word peace. And the same thing is happening with patience. Yes. Yes. And it it happens almost at the same place, too. So in the other sonnet, it was capital P, capital P, capital P in the first stanza. And then the second stanza brought in a lowercase p.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that happens here, too. Rare patients roots in these. Um, <clears throat> so I think um, I'd be interested in talking about, you know, what the difference is and why we think some of them are capitalized and some are not. I think that's the only one that isn't capitalized
0: yeah it's the only one i see um my mind always goes to the capitalization of something like that being a the personification you know in the in the way you find in the ancients right the greeks and, and the romans um personifying these ideas um wisdom peace patience justice and so it it seems to be giving that kind of this is an entity, you know, patience is is this that that kind of weight to it, um, literally, I guess. But if you, if you're embodying something that is just is an idea, you're giving it weight. But and that's then
1: really when described, that's really helpful.
0: Oh, thank you. It, yeah, and then so when it switches, I, I, it it is a curious thing when it switches to lowercase. Um, and it, here it's it, it's it's right. It goes into this uh, uh, arboreal or uh, flora description yeah. um, roots and ivy and um, leaves um, this was an int- that was an interesting stanza I was to, to kind of work through the imagery of or try to
2: anyway
1: well maybe as you're suggesting we should kind of get there when we get to that stanza and just yeah, yeah. with the first stanza which seems to be insisting um, that the ideal of patience, as you're describing the capital P, it's just a really it's a really hard thing. Um, and requires some real trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've been studying um, Patissus's book closely mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and interviewing him, um, and we talked about his chapter seven. And um, last time, and he was describing in that chapter how, you know, the quality of love that is needed to be added to these two moral syndromes of the guardian and the traitor and the third force, which is love. And he was saying, you know, even in his conversing with saints, and (laughs) he's talking about like a living saint that he had the pleasure of knowing and um, like then died and was sainted. But he said this person told him, trial and error experience, that is the only way that we learn something. And, you know, so even a saint, you know, even someone who presumably has learned some of these virtues or acquired some of these virtues is saying that you have to make mistakes and you have to suffer through and you have to have felt experience. And we all know that what it takes to acquire this virtue is a lot of that and all from coming from all kinds of interesting directions, war, wounds of all kinds, you know, we immediately think of war and physical mm-hmm. wounds.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We have many wounds that aren't physical, um, weariness, you know, more mundane things, just dailiness tasks, <laughs> asceticism you know to do without things and then i noticed that you liked that last phrase a lot what did you how did you understand take tosses and obey
0: yeah um so there were take tosses uh, it's like um what's the i mean what came to mind is what you you have to deal with what's thrown at you (laughs) um and so i at first was trying to work out in my mind if the wants is uh like it wants these, like someone, like something you you want, or if it's if it was the use of uh, something that's lacking, and so I was trying to work out which oh,
1: that's great
0: which use of want is there, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure it's not intentionally vague <laughs> when it comes to wants, war, and wants wounds. So, um,
1: well, I think what he's saying there, I think that's a great observation about the you know vagueness. But um, what he's saying there is that if you want. What patience wants, what the ideal of patience wants is all these terrors, like all these things to ha- happen to you, to weather you into mm. patience. So if you want patience, what patience wants, what it needs,
2: oh, is I see yeah.
1: wounds to do without right? Pa-
0: patience who asks who asks wants you to to deal with war wounds, his weary time, you know, weary his times. And they said, "Yeah, and then to do without, and then take tosses." That's the yeah. That was because we. I, I just thought that was such a. It was almost a playful moment there, for because what life throws at you sounds more violent, right? We usually use the word toss with something, you, know, you toss a ball lightly or toss someone the keys, but you have to take the tosses, and, and it's it's what he throws at you, and it's. um, I just like the turn of phrase that, yeah, patience is is asking you to endure. Um, and you're asking to have the patience to endure the, the reciprocal nature of that first stanza seems, um, really profound.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it, it, it recalled to me a poem in this edition that we're using the every man's, um,
2: pocket, pocket
1: edition, mm-hmm. um, which is so delightful to hold in your hands, but, it um, is. two pages earlier on page 72 is carry and comfort and um, you know, where he's talking about despair and struggling against despair. Um, And at the end of carry and comfort or like the second half of it, he says um, in all that toil, all, all that toil that coil since seemed, I kissed the rod hand rather my heart Lo, laughed strength, stole joy, would laugh, cheer. Cheer whom, though? The hero whose heaven handling flung me? Mm -hmm. So there he's talking about um, being tossed Mm -hmm. by God. So it's like what life tosses at you, but it's also sometimes, you know, God tossing you. You know, that sort of wrestling, Mm -hmm. Jacob's wrestling, um, and with Hopkins, you always feel that kind of psalmic intimacy mm-hmm. um, where, you know, the psalm, it always returns to this understanding that even, you know, 87, 88, when I am at my lowest, I'm somehow with you there and, and maybe even afflicted by you there, but we're there together. And uh, that intimacy, I think, um, you know, is sort of this understanding that these things that we deal with in life are part of our wrestling um, with the angel that will touch us and bless us. Um, And I I just sense that continuation of theme from, from this poem, from the Psalms, and even from the poem, peace, Mm -hmm, has mm -hmm. that in it.
0: Yeah. That's interesting to think of the, the take tosses as being, having that meaning you you being tossed by 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 life or by god by the storms as well
1: um what are you thinking about the the um words in that um you know just some of the language and the the movement the punctuation the rhymes of that um stanza
0: the first one um
1: yeah
0: yeah the um I well, I liked uh, asks and tasks, right? That there's the there's the rhyming pattern there, but they're also so closely connected, right? That, patient asks and gives the tasks. I just thought that was just a lovely. Uh, it 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 works on both in both ways, right? The the rhyme scheme, obviously, and then and then those two those two things are so conjoined. Um, yes, and then. And then on the flip, the top and the, the, the first and, and fourth line is pray and obey. You the, the There's a juxtaposition there, right? The pray, the praying for patience and then being told to obey in patience um, was, I thought, pretty impressive. Uh,
1: yeah, so impressive. I mean, rhyme scheme is hard enough. Right, right. <laughs> but then yeah. to have it mean so much. Right, uh, right. Because it is, like you said, I mean, it's a theology right there in those four rhyming words. It's, you know, faith without works is dead. You know, it's okay. You, you're you praying for patience. You know how that comes? That comes through wars, <laughs> through wants, through weariness, through tasks. Yes. Through giving things up through obedience.
0: I, I mentioned to Matt and Andrea on one of our other podcasts uh, recently that Gotten in the habit of in my prayers of asking for to to be long suffering, and then sometimes later in the day wishing I hadn't asked that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> that same kind of you. Okay, well, you to want to be long suffering, you have to suffer some more.
1: So yes, it makes me think of something my daughter told me. Um, her midwives would say to her, um, during labor. Mm. You know, the only way out is through, right? Yes. You know? And and that is the situation of labor where you know that's true, and it's terrifying. You know, yeah. for the, just terrifying to think I can't get out of this. You know, yes, you have got to go through it, and I, I kind of feel the same thing in this stanza. Mm. There's no getting out of this. We've got to, we've got to toil our way through. Mm. Of course, peace that we talked about last time says um, that, you know, patience plumes to peace, patience exquisite, Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: that plumes to peace. So we understand that this is a sort of pilgrimage, you know, of like the toil, the patience, the peace. And
2: Mm.
1: I don't know, do we believe it? Do we believe that? they give way to each other. You know, our toil gives way to, to patience, which gives way to peace. Shall we go to the next stanza?
0: Yeah. I was just going to say that, that there was so much bird imagery in that last one, but then that plume to peace brought to mind, it was still talking about birds, the plumage, but, but also the blooming. And, Mm. um, and then we get that, that kind of, plant imagery here right in hmm. in patience but it's the it's the roots right it starts off with the roots the rooting um part
1: hmm. that's a great point what is that um uh, cuz i would say that the imagery in this poem is a little sparser than mm-hmm. some of hopkins poems so um what does the image of the root being the place where where patience rare patience uh is
0: yeah. And it's the part that I'm unsure about is the in these and these away nowhere, but the, the, the rare patients rooting, um, you know, the roots have to dig down and grab something and they have to, from my understanding, the roots have to, you know, they have to almost match the size and scope of the plant above it. Um, in order for it to be sustainable, then so not get uprooted easily. Mm.
2: Um,
0: whether that's broad like an oak tends to have a root that looks like it's canopy if you were to flip it over um and then yes. like a, a pine tends to have one that goes really really deep like it's like its main trunk i mean like its main a tap um, yeah the tap yes exactly and so that's what i had in my mind was these kind of that digging in of the roots
1: it's very helpful for you to talk through that image and and um I think this is really a good thing to do when you're looking at poems is just to dwell in the images for a while and Mm -hmm. see what they yield. And as you were talking, it was yielding to me um, just the idea that we don't see roots, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and we often don't see the things that created patience um, in ourselves, in others. It's below the ground. It's secret. It's it's like the work that happens apart from other people's eyes apart from you know what as you're describing flowers mm-hmm. um and i think that's part of what's so hard about it right because it's kind of it's almost like the work that we have to do in the dark alone the bearing of things and i don't know about you but there are some things some things are easy to bear some things are medium <laughs> some things are so hard that You know, just to get through the day or the night, you know, you have to every minute call upon God's name or presence without even knowing what you're asking for Mm -hmm. except the presence, you know. I think everybody has something in their life like that. But it strikes me that that's the root, you know. um yeah it's not all calm and beautiful plant imagery it's like what that means in human terms is the gripping down you know the mm-hmm. the adhering to something and the hard lonely dark work of it
0: mm. that's that's interesting the dope it's dark work right it's, it's yeah even the individual roots and strands of the roots are separate in a way that like the the branches and leaves aren't right there. They're in view of each other, but the roots are really separated by the dirt between them. The darkness.
2: Wow.
1: Um, My sense of that phrase, rare patients, and let's note that the patience is lowercase there.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I
1: think it's like we're not talking about. The ideal here we're talking about the toil and how it works <laughs> um and how it's built you know um and these away nowhere i take that these away nowhere to mean there is no way to not have this as part of the process of building towards patience. like there's no doing away you know okay. elides words a lot um, but there's no doing away with these. There's no putting this part of the process away. This lowercase p part. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You don't have higher case P uppercase P if you don't have lowercase P. And right. lowercase P always has these toils with it.
0: That's that's good. Um, yeah. And it's and like you, and like we were just saying, it's the part that's unseen and it's dirty and it's messy those toils. Yeah, this this stanza really is just I'm glad we're sitting in it a little bit because I think the imagery, like you said, that it's there's sparser imagery in this poem. But this one is. It's interesting. Um, because it's not a, it's not an image, even once you get up out of the roots, it's not an image of just kind of. Joyful blossoming, like, uh, you know, describing flowers in springtime or something. Um it's this imagery of ivy which creeps and encircles and you know um that that next part, the, the heart natural hearts ivy, patience masks are ruins of wrecked past purpose. The image of ivory wrapped around the heart uh is interesting to me. Um
1: here's how I interpret that. I think that patience is being compared to, ivy, that masks ruins of wrecked past,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and if you think about ivy growing up on a wall or a building, mm-hmm. that's old and cracking, it hides, not in a bad way,
2: mm-hmm. it, it
1: it it like a tone I don't know what to say a tone for it, but it it covers a multitude yeah. of sins. Yeah you know and so just like ivy covers um patience which is like ivy here natural hearts ivy it masks our ruins of wrecked past purpose um and i i i sat for a while outside today thinking about that phrase our ruins of wrecked past purpose I think if we could talk about that, we might understand why the patience covers it like ivy,
0: yeah, I think that might be my favorite line so far the reading through this poem for the first time uh for this podcast uh, it, i think I think we all have we all have uh what ruins of wrecked past purpose right the these dreams, goals, things we were trying to do things we were striving for that don't come to fruition. Um, mm. that, that, um, that are some of the suffering and the, and the, and the toil, um, that we talked about in the first part of the poem and patience is this thing like you're talking about that, that kind of surrounds them. Um, doesn't, um, doesn't disregard them. Like they're not they're like, uh, but this Ivy that can make it more beautiful. Like covering up the cracks that can't um and verdant um um mm-hmm. but it, but it's a slow growing thing right the patient the, that ivy grows slowly to surround the these these wrecks um and I just I and mean, natural heart's ivy like it's it's the the, it, the patience is the thing that allows the enduring right to 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 move through the mm-hmm. difficult seasons and the wrecked plans and the Um, you know, whether those plans are wrecked by the winds of fortune or, or, or the world shutting down from a pandemic or your own personal health and family issues, um, Mm -hmm. or just your own folly, (laughs) your own bad plans that that went awry. Um, and and it's the patience that allows you to endure. Uh,
1: I love the way you opened that. What you just said, um, of like you know, a verdant um plant slowly em- encasing, slowly embracing something. um that was really beautiful language for this. And I think you're right that Hopkins intends for us to think of this Ivy as a good thing. You know, we might think of it as a what symbiotic pest or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but no, he means for it to be good. He because it's masking, it's basking and the you know, these purple eyes and seas of liquid leaves all day that's a beautiful image, you know the the kind of um the cascading uh, of the plant and mm-hmm. even the little purple um buds that grow on the ivy um I guess English Ivy is probably what we're talking about here and um, you know, it, I have so many things flooding into my mind right now. I think of uh, Dorothy Sayers' uh, Triumph of Easter essay, which is just mm. tremendous, and it's online available. So good. Where she, in that, you know, unrepeatable, sharp, insistent voice of, <laughs> that I love so much, witty, but also, you know, you know she's suffered a great deal, um, where she says that, you know Christ is in the business of working this pattern out that you know we fall short and he turns that you know effort into something else um and that this is the pattern of God's work with humanity of of the labor to to turn a thing to good. Mm. And um it doesn't mean he needed it to be that way. It doesn't mean we weren't free to act another way. Um but that that is the nature of the love of God for for humans and of um so this kind of cooperative participatory turning of a thing. And that does take so long and there's so much darkness. There's so much we don't know in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really loved the way you described the waiting for the wrecks to be covered. Cause we want to erase them. We want to. We want something to be automatic. We want to just write them, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we want to repair them. We want to call in those Masons to just <laughs> make it look pretty again, you know? Um, <clears throat> and that's not how IV works. That's not how patience works.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh Yeah, the pur- the purple eyes, I think it was just it was just a, such a lovely way to to describe that look of them, right? Like the and liquid leaves, like the you can you can see in your mind the leaves just kind of gently rustling, you know, with every little breeze and the eyes looking out at you almost like mm-hmm. Almost giving you some of that peace, right? It's not the full plumage that 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 peace talks about, right? But it it's if you just if you just let the ivy do its thing and just kind of take it. It's not this burst of flowers like a, a rose bush or something that you got in mm-hmm. peace, but but the eyes are looking, are watching the the leaves are gently moving, uh, slowly covering. It's the slow work, but it it has its own it has its own peace and beauty to it right if you just let the slow work do be the slow work mm. um it has its own piece to it its own at least a little bit of peace even if it's not the full fruition
1: piecemeal piece yeah
0: piecemeal piece exactly <laughs> to call back that's right
1: um also i think here the she refers to the patients right Their yes. sheep.
2: yes yeah
1: and because of what you're describing right? That that yes. It's there, but it has to be absorbed and appreciated. And also, we might point out that it's a shade plant. Mm. Ivy is.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah. Which is another another kind of shade is slower <laughs> growing and slow and and, it, and it's cooling and it's it's a uh, all that all that makes me, it feels slower to me, right? Things that are in the shade is slow. You want your hammock in the shade. (laughs) You want your, Uh you know, you, um, you, it's not the, the, the aggressive fast work of the sun in the, in the bright sunshine where, you know, it's,
1: yeah, I don't think any of our vegetables grow in the shade.
0: (laughs) Right. They're burst. They're quick. They're bursting. They they have to get up and out and ready to be ready to be ripe and, and, and taken. Um, but that season right there that's therefore therefore that they're for the, that season and the shade plants are for years and years and season after season uh, yeah. being there
2: so.
1: um also if you've ever tried to uproot ivy it's very hard <laughs> to, <laughs> yes. it's all connected and yeah that's an interesting point too um i'm sure wish i knew what that is that like a rhizome? is that what the that kind of plant is where the, where the roots are all connected to each other. And yeah. it seems to suggest that all these experiences that are c- gathering up into patients, they're all connected to each other. You know, mm-hmm. that we can't really, you know, we can't make a little course for ourselves, a little outline no. you know, and proceed from point A to B. It's not linear.
0: Well, and anyone who's tried to, to teach a small child patients, Knows that it like just because you got them to wait one time without whining and crying oh. to have had the piece of candy like they haven't learned patience yet they've
2: no. they've got
0: they've got one time that they've made it through right it's it's all of those times that they're made to wait interwoven um, over a lifetime that they give them a give us a heart of patience right it's it's the times and when we're little it's forced on us maybe not by those that it should be and and then over time we have to develop that sense of waiting ourselves or a sense of enduring ourselves
1: you know I'm remembering um a a certain time when I was talking to my priest who's so wonderful and and has helped me so much um but I I remember telling him that I was in you know in my my difficult situation it was a very hard time and um I, I remember telling him that I was just praying the Jesus prayer while I was talking to someone that I was trying to co-suffer with and that it was very hard. And he said, well, that's great. Don't think that because you did it one night,
2: <laughs> you're done,
1: you know, <laughs> don't turn around and pat yourself on the back. Uh, and I just, uh, that's exactly what he was saying. What you said, you know, is like, that's good. Yeah. That's what we have to do. But this is something that we bear sometimes for a really long time. Mm. We keep doing that. You know, one night of labor is good, but it's one night. Right. And you may be laboring with this for the rest of your life, you know? Um, So I love the way you're talking about it as a muscle, um, as a a pattern, as a habit. I like the fact that in the next stanza, too, we're back to the grind.
0: Oh,
1: (laughs) yes. (laughs)
0: yeah that's that may be my second favorite line. I mean, just because it's so it's so visceral that next line, yeah, uh, we hear our hearts grate on themselves, like,
2: oh
1: man,
0: it's just I can actually feel that in my chest. you know, like I, I can just feel it right in the chest, right yes. in the, boomers.
1: yes, so can I. um sometimes for these keywords. I like to look them up in the dictionary, even though, you know, we know what that means, mm-hmm. but um, <clears throat> it's just kind of nice to retrace the the roots of that word. So I did look up great, um, you know, the verb great to make a sound of rough scraping to sound harshly. To scrape or rub, rub with rough or noisy friction as one thing against another, and again, you know, rubbing against a rough surface or a surface with a many many sharp-edged openings um, to irritate, to annoy, to wear down, <laughs> um, and and it comes from in Middle English to reduce to powder, crumble, great. Mm. or from German kratzen to scratch. Or Swedish krata to rake. <laughs> so, I mean, just that again, like repetition, you know, here we get one verb that mm-hmm. gives us an image. Oh, you know, yeah. Of that, that repetition is just something that's happening over a long, irritating, annoying frame of experience.
0: Yeah. And it's that part of that part of that definition is to actually is actually the reducing to small pieces, right? That that's part it of it. It's not it just is. the motion or the, or the feel. It's the, uh, the purpose is to, re- to gr- make down to small pieces. You yeah, to grind it yes. down. Um,
1: and then it's our own hearts on themselves, which mm. reminds me of, um, you know, Dickinson's poem about remorse. Um, and, and that is how it feels. These things that are like the things we're talking about that we have to carry over a long period of time. It's like you feel yourself grating on yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're bearing something that is yourself, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and so often, even if there's out- outside forces, it's it's our own conflicting wants and desires that are, you know, that, that are greeting on themselves. Oh, what's the phrase? Fr- I, I, I'm, I'm not going to phrase it as well as it should, that they come from Homer where so often you have the, the character saying he, they thought about it both ways, right? The, the decision they're trying to make
2: mm-hmm. like
0: they it's this idea of weighing both sides, but it's, it's, it's more visceral than that in, in Homer's language. And now I'm blanking on the, on the way it's said, but, um, but almost being split in two. a lot of
1: weighing, right? Yes. Yeah. Weighing the course weighing,
0: but you get this sense of them being split in two, like they're, 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 they're they're split in two on what they think they should do. And then here with Hopkins, you have almost the opposite. Those two, those two pieces being just mashed against each other. Like there's this friction between the two. I, um, or you think of Paul when I want what I, what I should not want. And all those Mm -hmm. things, those, those conflicting desires, just Mm -hmm. grinding on each other. Um,
1: and thorns yeah. the thorn in the flesh, yeah. That's a really good point. I I mean, I think about um, antinomy here, which we've been talking about as well, as those moments of like this moment of extreme pain that is part of the process of of I don't want to say polishing, but
2: mm.
1: you know, arriving um, at this desired place desired dwelling, right?
0: Right. And that's the next part where the, the kills to bruise them dear. Like you you know oh. like you're you're hitting something that's already bruised. You're grading something that's already sore.
1: Yes. And then I but I really love um where he goes next.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yet the rebellious wills of us, our rebellious wills, we do bid God bend to him. Even so. Um, this is that moment that we keep looking at in Hopkins' poems. Yes, turn that resting place. It's that psalmic chiasm, right? Where for a moment you come to a, a resting place and then um the course turns and, and you can kind of turn your heart towards the thing that you've been naming, articulating, and fleshing um, struggling against. Um, and, and that's why this is an experience, right? This is not just him telling us about a concept, which it can seem like at first, but no, the images that in the language that we've been articulating together is that it's dreadful Mm. and the speaker feels the dread and communicates it to us. But here is where it turns. And he says, even so we bid, we do bid God bend our wills to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, um, you know, had, uh, as you know, I, I had a diagnosis recently and that was bad. And um, some friends of mine from church sent me an icon that someone had given them when they got a bad diagnosis that they mm-hmm. are living with um, many years ago. And um, they said, like, we just thought that you needed this and then at the end of that letter they said um they said we 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 pray for you as god bends you know your will to his mm. or something to that effect and i just thought you know from these people yeah who i see their faithfulness and i see their toil and um exhaustion and sadness i can receive that like that sure yeah okay all right yes you know um and i i feel that way with hopkins too that he brings us to this place where we're willing to say okay this guy knows how bad it is right i can put my i can put my trust in in the process he's naming for me
0: right it doesn't feel cliche coming from that person right it feels earned um to say that and your your friend and then hopkins um yeah, I think most of our audience knows we've experienced some similar things with Kobe's health in the past year. And, and yeah, it's, it's interesting who you can hear things from (laughs) and who you can't sometimes, but to accept that, um, is hard. And as you're talking, like I like you said earlier, when you're listening to the other person talk, it helps bring out so many things. And I'm thinking now, as I work through the poem to this point, you have this kind of it's it's a little bit tumultuous at the top right the, the talking about war and toss and you need to do it you have to stick through it and then you have this with this Ivy imagery it's, it's, and we talked about being in the shade and slow there's this there's a slowing down it's not gone it's slowing down um and then you hear, that's when you can hear the heart the heart grating on itself it's that moment of slowing down it's but it's not gone now you're just like you're focused almost on the particular of of this whatever suffering he's going through, whatever, whatever Mm. the turmoil is, is being focused here. Um, and it hurts. So it's, it's, it's almost intense. It's even almost more intense because we're focused on a particular, it seems like, or he is that it's unstated, but even so, um, you know, we bid God to bend our wills toward him. And so it has to calm enough to get quiet, to really intensely focus on your suffering, (laughs) um, so that you can, specific to that suffering, turn it and, and say, bend my will. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to suffer anymore. I don't want any more patient. I don't want to wait anymore. I'm done. But mm-hmm. even so, then bend, bend my will. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that, that's what I feel happening right here in this point. in the poem.
1: Absolutely. And I love the way you say you feel it happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think that's exactly what poetry is. It's the, it's the, the language and the, the visceral, you know, thrall of imagery that's kind of pulling us into an event. Mm. And here, too, I think it's interesting rhyme scheme-wise. We have um, kills and wills and then so. And we're mm. sort of like, well, so? I mean, <laughs> that, what, you know, we've had this very tidy um, A, B, B, A. And then I guess, actually, it goes back to a um, BBA, which is interesting, mm-hmm. tight sound pattern there. And then we break out of that, kills, wills, but then we get this non-sequitur almost. So we so? <laughs> have no idea what where we're being taken, right? Yeah. And that's precisely what we're talking about, is that the bending of the will, the surrender to that bending is so frightening because it's a pilgrimage. We don't know where it's going. Um,
2: uh-huh.
1: I I remember, like I, I spent a, a fair time amount of time at the mission, um, the women's mission in our city, the Bethesda mission. It's so so good, it's such a wonderful place. It's a women's shelter, and um, whenever I would go and talk to the women, we'd eat together, and they were always talking about the need to surrender to God they were all fin in recovery and um i don't know i just had this strong sense of wow that's exactly what i have to do too you know but they were feeling it so strongly mm-hmm. um and i kind of feel like that's what that's where hopkins has brought us to that point and and that's why he leaves us hanging with the rhyme scheme with the stanza break yeah. you know again it's a why don't we have a typical um you know like a a turn at the end that's too long, right. you know. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It it really does leave you hanging there, um, and then interestingly keeps the same, repeats that rhyme scheme in that last stanza. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the scheme, but the actual the actual sounds uh, follow through.
1: Right. Kills. Wills. Distills. Fills. And there again, we have the same pattern that you were naming even in the first stanza, right? Kills and wills are, that's tough. Mm
2: -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. (laughs) Nobody wants that. But distills and fills are much more Mm -hmm. the result of the prior um, obedience, you know, the prior action, the prior affliction.
2: Yeah.
0: And what I love about that word distills is that it's... um... No matter what you're talking about the the distilling process is is a potency right when you distill Mm -hmm. something you're making it more potent whether it's alcohol or sugar or um tincture tincture yes um so it distills it to a and then fills um with 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 what was distilled um it's just but again that's a that's a slow that's a slow thing right Distilling is a slow thing.
1: Mm. Excellent point. Along with the ivy. It's slow and it's also about purification and Mm. concentration. Something Mm -hmm. being concentrated. It's an essence, right?
2: It's
1: drawing out of an essence. And um, the Latin um, comes from the word distillare. which is to drip. (laughs) So again, slow drip by drip by drop. And then that combines with his last image, which is so wonderful. And I, first of all, I love the fact that this stanza starts with a question. Mm -hmm. Where is he who more and more distills delicious kindness? I mean, such a strange and interesting question. Where is he? What, why wouldn't it be? Who is he?
2: Right.
1: But where is he? And then, He is patient, so it's like a state. This awareness is a state, a a place of being, a place of becoming.
0: Right, because that almost the answer almost reads like the question was, "Who is right?" Yeah, who is he? But he, uh, like, what is he?
1: He's patient.
0: Yeah, get rid of. But
1: it's aware. It's So curious.
0: Yes, he he resides in the patience. Almost, it's it's really. And then, and then the image of without, you know, poetically stated is this, this honeycomb, right. Mm. Which is just the work, you know, the, yeah, the distilling of the bee of the pollen to the honey, which obviously is just such a rich, I mean, the honey is such a rich historically historical image through, through every people group almost, but certainly, but certainly in Hopkins, um, uh, world and the psalms and david and uh throughout scripture and At then the
1: to the- there was no refined sugar too right it was just right. magical yes <laughs> that the earth had good things i mean honey- milk and honey flowing with milk and honey you know it's the image of the yes sweeter than honey sweeter than the honeycomb you know taste and see i mean it's it's the imagery that's used for the sweetness of god yes um, I did a little, I uh, I don't know why I can't keep these numbers in my head, but I did a little research of the bee and how long it takes to produce this honey um, and like what the numbers are. It takes 2 million flower visits for a honeybee colony to produce 500 grams, which is one pound of honey.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: 2 million flowers for one pound and a whole colony of bees. A bee may need to visit over 1,000 flowers before its honey stomach is completely full. When this is achieved, it will return to the hive to begin the process. Um, A single bee will produce one twelfth of a teaspoon of honey in its lifetime. (laughs) I can't stand it. I mean, it's just
2: so hard.
1: I know. And then here's a little more. Honeybees take the nectar inside the colony and pack it away in hex- hexagon-shaped beeswax honey cells. They then turn the nectar into honey by drying it out. Um, and then, of course, they can go back to it and eat what they've saved. But I mean, come on. is That's what he's talking about, this like the beautiful shapes in nature of the crisp combs, the hexagonal oh, yeah. shapes and, and the way that that has to do with storing things up and with the industry of a colony, the industry of a community, and also just this toil interminable toil.
0: And so you, and then you realize why the bee was such a, such a big symbol all throughout, all through the middle ages. Right. Um, and he, clearly, he would have been aware of that in his in his role in life. Yeah. But it's it's such an important image to everything that's going on, right? The kingdom of God to us to the the patience and the each little bee doing its each little part each little day um, oh. to to produce I, something like
2: that.
1: I know, and what I love, too is that. He's giving us that rich fullness in this stanza. So we get delicious kindness. You know, first of all, it's such a mouthful, right? And and when we, the deliciousness of we can't help but think about the honey. Um, And then patience fills. So uh, there again, an image of abundance of, you know, a a sense of this being overflowing. Yeah. The yield of it. And then his crisp combs.
0: Yeah. That, that is a mouthful and it, it, it almost, um, again, you can feel it, right? Like if you've ever bitten into an actual piece of honeycomb covered in honey, like it's everywhere. It's like oozing out of the sides of your lips. It's, you know, it's, it's yeah. not a clean experience. <laughs> it's, no, a honeycomb. It's, no. it's a, it's a, it's a joyful sucking the marrow out of life kind of moment. Um, but, oh, uh, yes. and, and so, yeah, the, the, the words capture that delicious kindness is like this kind of mouthful and you can almost feel it. You're, mouth sticky with the honey just trying to mm. get to saying it um even before you get to the fact that it is honey that's the next line where you, you get told that it's it's a it's a honeycomb um
1: oh right so you get the overflowing before you get assurance of what it is yeah
0: and yeah and just that that crisp the crispness of the comb and that, that's such a great um those words crisp combs is is again so tactile uh, yeah which is one of the things we love with Hopkins so
1: Right, and the delicious kindness, too, those S's. Mm. Um, so we get, I kind of feel the delicious kindness and the crisp combs together. You know, you get the mm-hmm. the um, sounds at the end of the first couplet, uh, the first, you know, paired word, and then at the beginning. Um, but then also he's giving us the P and the B of mm-hmm. crisp combs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then we have comes in that same line. And yeah. I love the fact that he says, it's almost humorous, this last phrase. And that comes those ways we know.
2: Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, yeah.
1: oh, guess what? This delicious, sensuous experience of abundance, guess how it comes? Like, he makes us go yeah. back to the beginning it's and remember the <laughs>
0: It comes with the thousands of bees going to thousands of flowers every single day.
1: Yes, it's not a mystery. It's it's magical, but it's not a mystery and it's not without toil. And this is what I love about him. He always brings these things together. Like he reminds us there's honey, Mm -hmm. you know, and that it's going to be spilling out of our mouths and that we are going to taste it at the end of this process. Whether it's a small cycle in one small area of our life or the end of our life, you know, Mm but we're not going to taste it without this participation in, in the toil, the toil, and and I would might even say in the crucifixion, in the wounds.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and I, I, I I'm glad you pointed out that Chris Combs Combs has those those crisp front letters, but that you know, pss, mm, pss, it almost is like mm, mm, <laughs> mm, of the like you're <laughs> like eating the honey. Yes. Like Pooh bear sounds.
1: you so good at reminding um, us of the, like the hard literality of the of the sounds, Brandon. I love that you bring that into our conversation.
0: Yeah, and so it's just. Um, I think it's, it's it's this great image of the the the. Yes, it's delicious, and it's even just those few moments, right, of of enjoying that honeycomb or um, anything else. If you've spent time making something from scratch when it comes to food <laughs> or, yeah. or you've had to wait cause you've made um, something like, I don't know, wine or meat or something else yeah. So you know, you had to wait even longer. Um, but it's a yeah. lot of toil and it's only the enjoyment's short, but it's, but it stays with you, right? So it's, it's what inspires you to do the toil again,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that the, um, y- you can, the memory of the honeycomb stays on your, stays on the tongue and on the, on the mind. So
1: that's so beautifully put. And, and as you're talking, I'm thinking about the fact that uh, this is kind of one of the reasons why we need to do things in our life, to do real things in our life, you know, to raise bees and honey and and to make wine and to bake bread and to have a sourdough starter and everything. Because <laughs> it's, you know, how are we going to learn it in our souls and in our hearts if we don't somehow learn it a little bit in our physical lives, you know,
2: Yeah.
1: Um, if we're just always doing something that's automatic and quick and yields us something fast, how are we ever going to, how did you say it? Like it stays on your tongue. It stays on your mind. Like how are we ever going to have literal physical experiences that urge yeah. us towards doing it another at another level, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally.
2: Yeah,
0: it, I mean, because we all get our honey from the grocery store, right? And we don't have to. Yeah. Um, usually, without any honeycomb in it, so. Yeah. To enjoy, um, and there's so few things we take the time to do. Um, so true. That I watch,
1: machines I'm, do everything for us. Yes,
0: I'm so. I've gotten. I've been. It's been a joy to watch both of my girls have started knitting and crocheting, and just like. Uh, it's it's not the most practical choice, but it's but the stuff they make is beautiful and it's and it feels good to, to to make it and um as close as I come to it is is smoking a brisket which takes like the better part of a day right to wow. cook something that long and you have to tend the fire and um
1: right you can't decide it fifteen minutes ahead of time yeah what for dinner
0: yeah but there's not a meat that tastes much better in the world <laughs> to, to, when it's done so. Yeah. Because you've been smelling it all day. So
1: mm. that's really wonderful. Um I then I'll just point out too that we get the no, the so and no. Mm. Um and this is not an incidental rhyme either. I mean, this is really just a masterpiece of craftsmanship, even though it's maybe a little less flashy than God's grandeur or something. Um, but because In that rhyme where he's, in that first part where he's saying, it's it's that even so, like, even so, we want you to bend our rebellious, our rebellious wills, right? And then here at the end, again, this sweetness comes those ways we know. So know and so are saying the same thing, separated by time and space and accumulated experience but they're referring to the same process of toil and participation and contribution. And Mm one is at an earlier stage where, you know, where we're saying, yes, okay, but all right. Yeah. But yes, I still want you to bend my will. And then at the end, it's after some of that fulfillment and deliciousness.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It's, um, uh, by the way, the f- not as flashy as gra- God's grandeur is a good was a good uh, good way to put that um, since there's so much flash in that poem. But um, yeah, you're right. It's it's so it's so tightly connected. He doesn't he doesn't waste anything. Hopkins. He doesn't waste the mm-hmm. rhyme scheme. He doesn't waste waste the the meter. Like you said, it's 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 so hard just to make the rhyme scheme work when writing poetry, <laughs> but to to make the the rhyming lines. So intimately connected is just—it's just fun to sit back and all of it a little bit sometimes.
1: It really is, and worth doing. And you know, especially for students who like math, this is the math part. This is the quadrivium hmm. part of poetry, and it's there. You know, it's there's counting. There's right puzzling. You know, um, I would also point out that in addition to this rhyme scheme, um, which is very tight, we also have ten syllable lines. Um, And, you know, Hopkins has different rhythms sometimes in terms of the number of stresses that he has and the way he pairs the stresses with the unstressed syllables. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also – another thing that's worth noting is all the sejuras or middle of the line breaks that are here, which kind of – you know, harkens back to that alliterative um, verse where you have the alliteration on one side and the alliteration on the other side and the break in the middle. It's mm-hmm. not, it, you know, perfect that way, but there's a lot of that here. So second line, we have a we have a break in the midline.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the second line of the, actually of every stanza, we have that. Every stanza second line has that. And then, um There are more than that, but that's consistent. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to just see, you know, before we um, say goodbye, I was going to read a little bit about sacramentalism.
0: Yeah, I want to make sure we talk about that while we're we're still on Hopkins. So you had brought something I think you said from um, Hans Borsma, is that right?
1: Yes, this is from his book, Heavenly Participation. And I'm just going to read to you some parts that I picked out. Okay. um, And I'd be happy to you know tell you where it came from um more specifically um i find hans to be that is an absolutely phenomenal book um heavenly participation and i find him to be very very good at describing things that are hard to describe he can do it simply but he has a lot of depth behind
2: mm-hmm.
1: what he's saying so here we go mystery refers to realities behind appearances that one could observe by means of the senses That is to say, though, Oh, that is to say, through our hands, eyes, ears, nose, and tongue, oh wait, sorry, that is to say, though our hands, eyes, ears, nose, and tongue are able to access reality, they cannot fully grasp this reality, they cannot comprehend it. The reason for this basic incomprehensibility of the universe was that the world was, as the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins famously put it, charged with the grandeur of God. Even the most basic created realities, realities, ties that we observe as human beings, carry an extra dimension, as it were. The created world cannot be reduced to measurable, manageable dimensions. Throughout the great tradition, when people spoke of the mysterious quality of the created order, what they meant was that this created order, along with all other temporary and provisional gifts of God, was a sacrament. This sacrament was the sign of a mystery that, though though present in the created order, nonetheless far transcended human comprehension. The sacramental character of reality was the reason it so often appeared mysterious and beyond human comprehension. So when I speak of my desire to recover a sacramental ontology in this book, I am speaking of an ontology, an understanding of reality that is sacramental in character. Um, and um he says in the thing signified is really the things in it, the thing signified is really in a certain mode present. That's how he says what another definition of, um, of sacrament that he took from C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis. Um, And then um, let me see here. There's one more section. So he, he says um, symbol X and reality Y merely have an external or nominal relationship. The distance between the two makes clear that there is no real connection between them. Things are different with sacraments. Unlike mere symbols, sacraments actually participate in the mysterious reality to which they point. Sacrament X and reality Y co-inhere. The sacrament participates in the reality to which it points. Um. And that might be a little confusing of a note to finish on, but um, that was the material that I took from his chapter one. And um, I think, you know, um, one way that we could talk about it is just to say that for Hopkins, um, for Hopkins, the image here of the honeycomb and the bees um you know, here's another thing that Borsma says. He says that there are deeper, more concentrated uh, sacraments. So nature is a sacrament, mm-hmm. but the Eucharist is a sacrament that is more concentrated. So they're both sacraments. Um, but uh, but the sacraments of the church, and particularly the one that we say is the body and blood of Christ, is a is a deeper, more concentrated sacrament. Um, but but in a sense, all of reality um is telling us all of the physical world, the physical created world is telling us of this these mysteries um all the time. and the mysteries are themselves, the physical things that we're seeing are themselves participating in God. That's what God's grandeur is arguing of Hopkins. Um, and here um you know, he's talking about, the the fact that there are symbols that are nominal that we just say this um is this uh but they don't actually have this overlap that he's describing but then there are but then there are physical things in the world that actually participate in god and that actually tell us something and instruct us um and maybe like the sign um deer crossing would be a good example it's a symbol or a sign that there are deer that come out on this road and cross, but it doesn't actually participate in dearness.
2: Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. Right. But here, I think with this honeycomb, I think we get a little bit of what he's talking about, about sacrament, because Mm -hmm. he is suggesting to us this natural um, presentation in the natural world that is something that God created, it is telling us about our lives. It is telling us about virtue and about how we get formed. Um, And we do taste, and that's why it's used in scripture. And that's why um, we can, you know, cite all these church fathers and mothers who used it to try to describe the spiritual life um, and why we can look at, look more deeply into it and understand patience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you want to comment on that at all?
2: Yeah i
0: I haven't read the Boardsman, but I know I've heard you talking about it a little bit before. Um, other well, folks who are are fans of his as well. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a really important distinction when we're talking about um the world being sacramental. Um, we we acknowledge specific sacrament within the church that 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 were instituted uh, for particular purposes. But, but at the same time, I, I love this idea of that. I mean, I, I think, I think you have to go out of your way to deny the idea that, um, that things in the natural order created by God are participating in higher ideas. Like, like the bee is participating in this idea of patience. Mm. Um, and I think you, you have to, well, I think, first of all, I think you get, you, you have to, in human history, you have to get all the way up to kind of the, I don't know, the French revolution somewhere I don't know, somewhere, somewhere in there to uh, maybe a little before um, the, to, to have this kind of denial of those things. I think, I think it, it almost went not without saying, but it was just understood by cultures, the the Hebrew culture, the Christian culture, and, and the, and the, and the cultures of the pagan nations that, the natural world is participating in the supernatural. Um, Mm. And so I think it's, I think it's actually more of a rejection of kind of how man has understood his world um, for most of time than than the other way around. And so I think you have to make a pretty, you have to really kind of contort yourself to get totally away from it. I think
1: that is really helpful. You just said some things that um, that really helped to clarify what we're talking about, the fact that this was a way of viewing the world, a way of looking at the cosmos and your relationship to it, um, that is how Hopkins lived. So, you know, I am certain that he meditated on the on the honeycomb, right? And the bee and um, found it to be um, an adequate image of a heavenly reality. Um, that... That is there for us to understand and to learn from, um, which historically we have understood and learned from in scripture, in the early um, patristics. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, it's something that we've broken. It's a tie we've broken. Mm-hmm. Here's a little bit more um by Borsma on that point, the insistence on a sacramental link between God and the world goes well beyond the mere insistence that God has created the world and by creating it, it has has it has declared it to be good. Sorry, by creating it, has declared it to be good. It also goes beyond positing an agreed upon covenantal relationship between two completely separate beings. Hmm. A sacramental ontology insists that not only does the created world point to God as its source and point of reference, but that it also subsists or participates in God. A participatory or sacramental ontology will look to passages such as Acts 17.28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Hmm. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. And we'll conclude that our being participates in the being of God. Such an outlook on reality will turn to Colossians 1.17. He, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things are hold together. And we'll argue that the truth, goodness, and beauty of all created things is grounded in Christ, the eternal logos of God. In other words, because creation is is also a sharing in the being of our God— Our connection with God is a participatory or real connection, not just an external or nominal connection. Few people have expressed this distinction better than C.S. Lewis has. We do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else, which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. We didn't, and that's where Lewis ends. We do not merely want a nominal relationship or something that's sort of externally imposed or agreed upon or decided upon. We desire a participatory relationship. In fact, a sacramental ontology maintains that the former is possible only because of the latter. A genuinely covenantal bond is possible only because the covenanting partners are not separate or fragmented individuals. The real connection that God has graciously posited between himself and the created order forms the underlying ontological basis that makes it possible for a covenantal relationship to flourish. When we talk about real presence, we tend to think in terms of Eucharistic theology, and we ask the question, is Christ really present in the Eucharist, which is the sacramentalist position? Or is it the celebration of the Lord's Supper, an ordinance in which we remember what Christ did by offering himself for us on the cross? the memorialist position. Of course, there are all kinds of shades and nuances in the various positions, but this is nonetheless a fair description of the issue at stake in the differing approaches to the Eucharist. On the one side, we have those who insist on a participatory or real connection between the elements and the heavenly body of Christ itself. On the other side, people argue for an external or nominal connection between the elements and the ascended Lord. And I didn't really mean to get into that, um, debate. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just trying to show, um, the, the kind of length to which the relationship with the, the honeycomb and patients, uh, goes in mm-hmm. terms of this saturation. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. No, in the midst of that, and when you're talking about Lewis and things that talk, the, tuc- the that underlying idea that um there's the, there's a connection that, that that's real there um and we um we just got done with a couple of staff retreat days and um during our the devotional period we were we were reflecting on on john one uh each day uh, in different ways and talking about that and andrew's talked about this a few places um but it's something we talk about internally too a lot that that if the Logos is in all things, if, the, if, if everything is made through the Logos, um, certainly it's it's in man in a specific way, in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. But the, the Logos being in both of us it, is what allows us to have Dialogos, dialogue, right? The, the two Logoi communicating with each other, right? And it's the same in... the in, To whatever extent the word, the Logos, is in the tree, I have dialogue with the tree, like I, I, I recognize it's treeness because I'm a rational being
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, in the image of God, but it's, it's that, it's that recognizing the logos because the logos is in all things. And so if that's the case, then, then there's, then there, then there's this shared participation, right. Um, in the logos at different levels, whether you're, well, whether you're a man or angel or plant or a beast, right. Um, mm-hmm but there is a participation in the logos because it's the, it's, he is, he is the, the, um, I don't want to get into theology with progenitor of all things. Right. And so, um, there has to be that uh, some, at some level, uh, participation with one another, um, through that. So, um, I find, I find Boersma's arguments in there compelling and I like, I need to read the book. So,
1: yeah, it's worth reading. And I'm sorry, I didn't spend more time with it to um, uh, do it more justice. You know, I, I only had a little bit of time to go to it and, and snatch a few passages. I've read it, but it's been a while. Um, but yeah, this, this idea that that Hopkins, as we kind of come to the end of our little mini section on Hopkins, which is very short, uh the the notion that, that Hopkins deeply believed he was being taught, you know, that spring was telling mm-hmm. him something real mm-hmm. about human life. For all this, nature is never spent. The, there lives the dearest freshness deep down things. You know, and, and then he goes on to talk about the light and the season, you know, and the renewal. So, like a day tells us something about reality, right? That the sun and darkness and mm, mm-hmm. you know, comes up again every day on the we- on the west, the the bent west, you know. Um, and the, the year tells us something, and these tellings about light and about the seasons are really not separate from from Christ manifestations; they're emanations mm-hmm. of that reality, and we can recognize them. And, and understand that this is true for us too. Um, or we can not recognize them, you know, they'll still be there, but yeah. uh, we, we're we cut off from them in so many ways. And, you know, people talk about the fact that if you don't look at the stars, if you don't notice the seasons, if you don't
2: mm-hmm.
1: notice that light and darkness matter to your day, then how are you going to remember that participation? Right. Right. So the way we live our lives, just as we are saying, like slowing down and doing things slowly, will help us when it comes time to being patient. Um, has an impact on what we can understand and keep alive um, and present too.
0: What, but, uh, what was the title of the book? One more time.
1: Heavenly Participation. Okay,
0: that's what I thought. That's what I thought was. Uh, I'll put a link to that as well, so kind of some of our listeners want to check it out as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and feel free to take or leave, you know, what of that reading. You don't have to include all of it.
0: Um, oh, because... I think I think our readers, will, our listeners will enjoy it. So,
1: okay. Well, we can keep talking about this idea with Hopkins yeah. um, and and other poets. And it's great to dwell on this poem with you. Thank you so much. You bring so much back to, um, you you just you add so much in your own like deep lived understanding of the things that he's talking about and that I really profit from that and talking to you.
0: Well, thank you for being here again. Um, this, like I said, is, uh, I look forward to it every month now. And so it's becoming my favorite hours of the month for sure. Uh, so thank you. Uh, thank all of you for joining us again on Quiddity as we refreshed ourselves at Systems of Learning, Doug, long ago, drawing from springs too deep for taint. You can send your comments and questions to podcasts at org. You can join the Quiddity conversation on the Cersei Circle. Um, and I uh, hope you'll join us next week for another episode and check out the other shows on the Circe Podcast Network.